Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk about our membership program. Uh, we recently broke a pretty big milestone. We have over 100 startups and small businesses on the platform offering up to 50% off all their product and gear. If you're like me and you're always looking for a new uh, backpack or new gear for your addictions, whether it's skiing, snowboarding, camping, surfing, whatever it is related to the outdoors, you can hop onto this membership and peruse all of the brands. We're constantly adding new ones um, to really support all of your outdoor activities. We also have a number of travel companies. So if you're looking to take a trip, whether it's to Machu Picchu, South America, wherever, um, you can save on that as well. We also have a number of food brands, whether you need a new energy bar or you just need to, f- you want to find something uh, that's different and check it out. You can f- save while doing it. Um, you can also apply to become an ambassador for a lot of these brands. There's a ton of perks. So if you are interested in checking this out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members and get your first month free. Check out the Powell Movement podcast to find out the stories of the athletes and behind-the-scene players. Mike not only tells the stories, he tends to tiptoe the line of PC creating funny, informative show that sets the bar for interview podcasts in the action sport industry. What is going on, Ready Eddie podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with the founders of Climb On Maps, Stephanie Dawn and Rick Momsen. Guys, what's going on? Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. Definitely. So climb on maps for the listener that has yet to discover your your business. How would you best describe it to them? Well, in short, we map the approaches and walk offs for some of the largest rock climbing areas in the U.S. And uh, the reason for it is to help keep people from getting lost and to get climbing faster. Yeah, we spend a lot of time, a lot of vacations um, that uh, you, know, you go down to an area and you spend you know half your time looking for what you want to climb rather than actually climbing. So we enjoyed our weekends and got a little frustrated with that and uh, came up with the or had the aha moment. Uh, this is what we should do. Yeah, and Rick, um, he's been in the mapping industry for over 20 years. So it it just seemed like a good combo. We love climbing. Um, Rick is ex- an experienced map maker and um he uh he likes it. he he like he he's he's been in the geographic information systems uh industry which is um the more complex side of mapping but uh but for short he's been in the mapping industry so it just seemed like a, a really good combo and we wanted to help climbers to be able to do what they love doing what we love doing which is climbing. And, you know, we find that far more entertaining than being frustrated wandering around. Definitely. So what are some of the popular climbs that you guys uh, have maps for? Well, we've currently mapped four different areas. Um, We've mapped Joshua Tree in California, Red Rock in Nevada, Smith Rock in Oregon, and we're just getting ready to release um, our latest map, uh, City of Rocks in Idaho. That's awesome. So how long does it take to fully map and uh, create one of these guides for each area? 
Uh, that really depends on the area. Uh, Smith Rock, for example, is a little bit more self-contained, um, and they, they actually have a really good uh, trail system. Um, so that takes quite a bit less. Red Rock Canyon and Joshua Tree are both quite a bit larger, and uh, those are very complex and confusing, and we spent a good portion of our time uh, lost. So we actually have quite a few trails uh, mapped out there that say, don't go this way. And um, particularly for like Joshua Tree and Red Rock, we put in very, very long days mapping. I mean, we were out there um, probably at least um, 10 hour days, if not longer. Often we were just climbing into the van afterwards in the dark, throwing food in our mouth and going right to sleep. Um, for the larger areas, I mean, it could. It took us several months, day after day after day, every day. We would we would only take about one day off, um, a rest day every ten days. Um, we would actually climb. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> those rest days we'd actually get to climb. I know. <laughs> uh, some days we would just have to sleep, but um, it took us a couple of years in total to collect all of the data on the ground. I mean, we walked over over 1,800 miles to collect the data. And then um, once that data is collected, then there is the time in front of the computer. So those also constituted very long days. Um, you have to translate the information um, from the GPS unit um, that we're carrying with us and then you know make that into the beautiful maps that we offer to people. And there's um, a lot of other information that's collected that goes onto the maps, like the crag summaries, et cetera. So, but. Yeah, there's a, quite a bit of data processing and then the uh, massaging it and creating the, um, the cartographic or the map, the front end um, aspect of it that takes, um, well, more or less the same amount of time as the on the ground mapping of it. You know, you don't really think about it, but at least I haven't, how much time goes into creating maps. <laughs> um, yeah. And the, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, um, I, I guess I don't really understand how it works. So you walk around with a GPS, which then records all the data, and then you upload that information to a program on the computer, and then that helps you sort of make sense of it? Yeah, we walk around with a high-resolution GPS unit, so the accuracy is uh, um, half a meter, just a, a foot and a half. Um, so it's really, really high-quality data. Um, and then, so we're walking the trails uh, and stopping at intersections and confusing parts and taking pictures, and all this gets recorded with a, uh, a coordinate. Um, and we're typing in the information about the trail and the difficulty and the type and the steepness and whatnot. So we're collecting, it's not just walking and collecting the location of the trail, but a lot of information about what we're encountering. And, and the pictures are really critical to, uh, um, to reference. And we put these navigation photos on the map because when you're coming up to this point, you know, don't turn at this rock. You need to keep going and turn at the other, um, at the next one. Or, you need or, to crawl example. under this boulder. Yeah, the really confusing areas that you cannot portray on a uh, two-dimensional map. You have to throw in a, a navigational photo uh, aid. Um, and then 
that gets loaded into um, open source GIS software called QGIS. And then we process the data and connect the lines and um, make sure that everything is, uh, it, it is what it is. Uh, then we're creating additional data with all the vegetation um, uh, locations. Um, and that's, you know, done through, you know, infrared satellite imagery. Uh, we're extracting that and then physically drawing using multiple satellite imagery sources to draw all the rocks that you see on the map. And that's one of the most time consuming parts of the whole, <laughs> the whole computer section. A lot of people, I think, um, are used to seeing um, maps that have, I mean, people have asked us, why don't you just use the satellite imagery data for your backgrounds of the maps? And um, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is our maps actually go down to resolutions far beyond what the satellite imagery um, is in most of the satellite imagery data. So our resolution is down to one, you know, it it varies, but it gets down to about a scale of one to 2,400. As a reference, most of your hiking trail maps are one to 24,000, one to 35,000. So our resolution is is, um, getting very, very detailed. And you need that in a place like Red Rock or Joshua Tree, where it's very, very confusing. Um, also, you know, there's, there's probably a few people out there who care about the technicalities. So we'll dig into that just, just a little bit. We won't, won't go too deep into it, but I, I think it's pretty amazing for people to, to understand, you know, when, um, Rick is, is sitting there at the computer doing this part of the work, he is actually utilizing anywhere from three to six different satellite imagery sources or um, airplane imagery sources in order to get the best accuracy. So you can have two satellite images um, from two different sources sitting side by side of the exact same spot, and they can look very different from each other. And that has to do with the angle that that image was taken. So you could have, you get a lot of distortion of rock. And that's not good when you're talking about accuracy. So he utilizes multiple sources together to get the most accuracy combined with our data, which is highly accurate, which Rick described as down to, you know, half a meter in our photos and our notes. So we literally can see, you know, there's this boulder right here and Rick hand draws that in. And then our trail goes between that boulder and this wall. And we make sure that that is what is depicted on the map. So um, a lot of time and care is gone in, has gone into you know the accuracy of the map, and it also makes it look really pretty. <laughs> the hand drawing it's far prettier than a satellite image. So definitely, well, it sounds like you guys are a couple of perfectionists, <laughs> which yes. is definitely a good thing when it comes to making maps. Um, okay, so tell me a little bit about your your upbringings. Um, now, Rick, obviously your background is in mapping. Um, what about your childhood? What got you guys into climbing and really ultimately to this point of starting uh, climb on maps? Uh, I think for me, uh, my interest in climbing is that it was never, it was always out of uh, reach. Um, 
well, no pun intended. Uh, grew up in uh, Kansas, so I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love climbing trees and uh, scrambling up on rocks, and uh, just always had fun doing that. And then I um, uh, got into a little bit of mountaineering when I moved out to Oregon uh, after college, and then actually didn't climb rock until I moved to South Korea, uh, where a job pulled me out there. Uh, so that was really um, the the launching point of that that passion, really. And you know, I climbed for um, seven years overseas, and then came back to Oregon. Um, and you know, it was funny because I'd be uh, you know climbing in Korea, and I'd meet people, and they hear it from Oregon, like, "Oh, you must love Smith Rock. You must." Uh, and I had to tell them I'd never climbed there. Um, so right. it's come back and actually climb at Smith Rock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting how big of a community of climbers there are in South Korea. Like Patora Climbing got started there, and there's like a whole big yeah. group of people that that climb there. Yeah, there was a website called Korea on the Rocks, and and that actually helped uh, cement the decision to actually move out there. It's like that's you know I've always wanted to get into climbing, and I knew I'd like it. Um, I had a friend um, literally and proverbially show me the ropes once back here in uh, Colorado. And uh, so I knew what I was getting into. And uh, it, it was just a great escape. Every weekend, people were going out somewhere. And there are English teachers and expats all over the country. And, and there's climbing all over the country. So my rock climbing start is a little different from Rick's. I've, my first time rock climbing was back in the early 80s. Um, I actually grew up in Austin, Texas, had a curiosity about climbing. I took a weekend rock climbing class out at a place called Enchanted Rock. And it's kind of old school. So the experience was basically, I was pretty well thrown into <laughs> climbing. And um, it it ended up not being as ideal of an experience, so I didn't climb again after that. Um, so when I really started climbing was over 10 years ago after um, my divorce, my first marriage. Um, I kind of wanted to get back to my roots of all things outdoors. And um, I was dating a man who was a guide, and so he would guide rock climbing and paddling and just outdoors. And so my, I just jumped in with both feet um, in that regard. So he taught me pretty much everything I know, all my trad climbing and um, we would travel and climb. So that's awesome. Okay. So, uh, as you guys got older, what made you decide to, uh, hop in a van and do the van life? The, um, when we first started climb on maps, we knew that we were going to be on the road a lot. And, um, we, so we decided to get a camper van and, um, we decided to get a van that also had four wheel drive because we knew that we needed to, to get access. Like in, in Red Rock Canyon, there's a number of areas that you have to have high clearance vehicle to be able to get to. So, um, that was when we first purchased the van in order to be able to live on the road and do the mapping and not having to set up and take down a tent and at least try to be a little more comfortable in the process. Um, that ended up kind of being a joke because our van is a 1987 Chevy Astro van that was converted um, to a camper van and four-wheel drive. It's needed a lot of TLC. We ended up ripping out the interior and redoing it. And all that was happening 
while we were trying to map. So there was a period of time where we lived in the gutted shell of the van. And I thought, you know, we're backpackers. We're used to living small and easy. This will be like glamping, right? Living in a shell of a van? Wrong. Wrong. No, it was, <laughs> it was really surprisingly stressful living out of bins in a van while trying to map and be exhausted. And um, like I said, and then the short periods of time where we were home in Utah, we would do the work of rebuilding the van and and I'll have to I'll tell you the story of why we gutted the van in a minute um but um if if you're interested because <laughs> it's kind sure. of funny. yeah yeah but um but then we were away from our house so much um in Utah it just made sense for us to no longer have a home base but to live out of the van and um so we moved into the van full time and we've been taking advantage of that also just traveling around and doing climbing in a lot of places that we've wanted to climb. So, And also scoping out areas, new areas that uh, uh, for potential mapping. So the, the van conversion um, or ripping out story is every time we would get into the van, it smelled very strongly like gasoline. and we just couldn't figure out why. And then one day we'd wake up with headaches. I did. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> then one day when we had sort of, um, were digging around, um, we realized that the old, um, the gasoline line was going through the interior of the van, through the kitchen cabinetry, past the pilot light for the stove and the heater. So the van was basically a ticking time bomb because, you know, this is a 1987 old gasoline line that's probably, you know, that vapor is escaping out of. And we're like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. We, we better remove everything. So we had to just, we ripped out everything. We moved the gasoline line, um, put in a new spot for where the gas pump actually enters so it goes straight down into the into the gas tank and uh and then like i said we've we've rebuilt the van to be lighter and now accommodate climbing better so we've customized it but like i said it made made living out of the van a little more stressful now it's like the ritz carlton right <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not so much <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so over the course of this time, obviously developing the maps uh, and mapping is a pretty time-consuming piece uh, to the business. What what has been the uh, the growth uh, in terms of uh, sales been like since you guys got started? So, you know, we started, I mentioned we started mapping, um, it's probably almost over two and a half years ago now, but we only started releasing the first maps. It's been Almost a year. Almost one um, year. That the Smith map was first. Our first map, which was Smith Rock, uh, came out. And that was at uh, um, what, uh, a day before the Smith Rock Kragan Classic. And, 2017. Uh, 2017. And actually, we're on our way there. We'll be there next week. Uh, so that'll be the one-year anniversary of our map, our first map actually coming out. Yeah. So um, 
I think the the initial awareness of climb on maps amongst the climbing community has only been um, about a year. And then we were working on the other maps over this past year and have been releasing them. So we're still in terms of in the public eye, a very new business and building um, awareness of people about product. So how do you get the word out there? Well, we um, have been going to some climbing um, events. We did a couple of them last year, the Smith Rock Crag and Classic and the Joshua Tree Climb Smart. We've expanded the number of events this year. Um, that we've found is a, a really great way to meet people. And once people sort of, the, the, what we end up seeing is that when we first tell people that we make maps of approaches and walk-offs, there's a little bit of a puzzled look on their face. So they're like, well, I've got a guidebook. You know, why do I need this? And then when they actually see the map and they see the difference, what it shows, the level of detail, the additional information. Um, for example, we have, I mentioned crag summaries. Um, these summarize information about each wall, the number of climbs, um, the proportion of types of climbs. Does that wall mostly have port or is it trad or? Um, are there top rope climbs on there? What's the distribution of grades on that wall? So when you look at the map, you can instantly at a glance see if there's um, two walls adjacent to each other that have the type of climbing you want, for example, and how you can get between those. Um, so people, they get blown away by the amount of information on the map. And then they're like, oh, wow, I can't believe I've never had something like this. It's, it's kind of a new concept. So one of the things that's nice about the um, a graphical presentation of the map is you get to see how Crag X, or the, the relation of everything and where things are in context to, to others. So if you're, you know, Crag X may not look like it has a whole lot to it. It's not worth, you know, hiking out to. Um, but you can see on the map that there's, you know, Crag Y and Z right next to it. Uh, which uh, is really helpful to, you know, to, to plan a day. Uh, so a lot of the, the guidebooks will describe how to get out to the area from the parking lot, but not necessarily how to get to one area from the other. So our, so our maps provide that uh, additional context of where things are in relation to each other. It's kind of funny because when we were mapping, you know, we use multiple sources um, for mapping. Uh, multiple, if there's multiple guidebooks. guidebooks um, like for Joshua Tree, we used five different guidebooks plus Mountain Project. So um, in each of those sources might give a different description of how to get to a wall or a location. So we will utilize those because um, people are are using those sources. We want to map dire- uh, directions and, and whatnot according to what people, um, according to the sources, like all any possible source mm-hmm. that they're going to use. So if, you know, directions say go this way, we're going to, we want to be prepared for that and say, and, mm-hmm. and fine tune it. Right. And there's, there were plenty of times where um, that ended up not being the best approach. So on the map, you can see different approaches, but a funny story is that like Rick was describing how um, guidebooks will describe how to get to a wall from the parking area. Well, one day, you know, we would map to a certain wall from one parking area, and then we would get, the next day, we'd go from a different parking area to another wall, 
And then we would look at each other and we'd be like, well, wait a second. We were here yesterday (laughs) and the wall we just mapped is right over there. So then we're like, then we make the connection between um, the, these walls. And a lot of times people may not realize, particularly in complicated areas like Red Rocks, where you have these canyons, Uh, maze of canyons, canyons, that one wall is right next to you and is accessible. Or they may think that, or they may look on the small map that's in provided in a guidebook and think that a wall, one wall looks, looks accessible from another wall and it actually isn't. So. Yeah, I think that's a really important amount of detail. Um, I just think about all the times I've gone climbing and a lot of the times I'll not go if I don't have someone who's done it (laughs) just because (laughs) it's so confusing and I don't want to go out there and waste a ton of time trying to figure it out. Um, So I can see the value is clearly there. (laughs) <laughs> where what, where do you see uh, climb on maps going in the future in the next year or five years ten years down the road oh that's a that's you know a great question and as business owners you know they always encourage having your one-year plan and your five-year plan etc we've been a little more organic i guess um we've approached it that way this is completely i mean it's it's a self-funded endeavor um, we did do the Kickstarter to help us um, offset or fund some of the um, the printing for the Joshua Tree map. It was basically, you know, an opportunity for people to pre-order the map um, at a reduced price, which helped us pay for a portion of the printing um, up front. But um, when we first set out to do Climb on Maps, we decided we, there were four key areas that we wanted to do. And um, th- those are the ones that I've listed, um, which is Joshua Tree, Red Rocks, Smith Rock, and City of Rocks. We um, we figured initially if we couldn't do Red Rock or Joshua Tree, we would not do we would not start the business if it if it wasn't viable for us to actually create maps for those two really huge complicated areas. So by accomplishing those two. Um, that was the impetus for us to say, okay, let's do this thing. Um, we have other areas in mind that we would love to map. We've, um, uh, scoped them out. We actually have a small free map that we're going to be releasing soon, um, for the gunks in New York. Oh, so nice. there's some. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the gunks don't need something really big, but there's a few little confusing parts that we felt like would be helpful to the climbing community to clarify. You know, and it was a fun area. And um, like our our Stephanie has mentioned, the crag summaries. I mean, it's helpful to plan your day of where to go and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. That that literally took a day to map all the trails. Um, So it's hardly complicated, but we figured the, uh, you know, the crag summaries and and other contacts with the campground is, et cetera, it still, you know, provides some, mm-hmm. you know, utility. Yeah. So there were some aspects that, you know, as we were climbing in the gunks and um, looking at the, the guidebook resources there, we thought there's a little, there's a few little small holes that as um, having never visited the gunks being um, new there that we would have liked to have known or had filled um, while we were there. So we're like, let's just create, a nice small map for people to help fill that hole. And because 
you know, it didn't take us much time or effort. Um, we're going to provide that for free, um, to the, to the community. Um, but we are scoping out other areas, you know, a, a big vision. It'd be awesome to be able to go, um, international, but, um, we'll see, you know, we'll see what, um, what time yields and how sales go. And, um, I mean, it's a long-term vision for us. We'll, we'll keep it alive. Um, as long as as long as we can definitely well, i can hear hear how exciting it is for both of you guys to be working on this project and i think it's definitely like going through this episode and listening to all the things that you guys are talking about it you don't really realize how much this is needed <laughs> <laughs> until it's sort of like explained to you and you're just like oh yeah i've had that experience oh yeah like <laughs> that that's <laughs> totally relatable um so it's clearly anyone who's climbing in those areas um, you know, if you're, you're climbing in Joshua Tree, Red Rock or Smith Rock, and uh, what's the, fir- the fourth one is City of Rocks, right? Um, if anyone listening to this is planning on climbing uh, in those areas in the near future, definitely check out uh, Climb On Maps. And with that, guys, where's the best place for listeners to really keep tabs on all the things that you have going on, new maps that you guys have uh, in the pipeline? Well, there's our website, climbonmaps.com. Um, we always have on the front page what's news. Um, so at a glance, people can see what's um, coming up uh, and available for people, how to order our maps, um, which can be um, purchased from our website. But I actually really want to emphasize we have a list of retail shops across the U.S. that carry our maps and um, want to encourage people to support their local climbing shop. Because um, it's a it's a win win for everybody when you know they're supporting their local retailer, um, and and then they're they're purchasing the map through that. It it kind of spreads the love, and we like to in, encourage and support the local retail shops. So there's a list of shops that are carrying Climb On Maps um, on our website, and as we're traveling, we will post on Facebook and Instagram where we um, are or where we're headed. And we've climbed with and connected with a number of people that way. And it's been awesome. Definitely. And um, we'll get all that linked up in the show notes. And anyone listening to this between September 18th and October 16th, we're actually going to be giving away a few maps along with a bunch of other climbing gear. So you can head over to redyeti.com for your chance to win. And with that, Stephanie and Rick, I really appreciate you guys coming on the uh, podcast, sharing your story and all the things that you have going on with Climb On Maps and really how it's different than just a regular guidebook for for um, for these uh, climbing areas. And yeah, thanks so much and excited to see what you guys uh, do in the future. Yeah, thanks for Thank having you, us, Josh. Josh. We really appreciate it. And, and um, I just want to give a shout out to what you guys are doing in supporting these new, new businesses outdoors. I think that that's... Um, an awesome resource for people to be able to not only, you know, get their discounts, but it's a great resource for new businesses. And I just applaud what you all are doing. So thanks for the opportunity to be on your show and participate with Ready Yeti. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Ready Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.